Uh, we're just going to do something a little bit old school. We're just going to mix it up a little bit today. Just before Andy comes to talk to us, he's asked me to share uh, with you a Bible passage from Matthew 22, starting at verse 1, finishing at verse 14. And I'll read that to you before we get Andy on stage. Jesus spoke to them again in the parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those invited I did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, my friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen." Well, it gives me great joy and great pleasure to uh, invite the, the one and only, the incredible, the amazing, uh, he's told me to say all these things, uh, Andy Kind to the stage, my, uh, my brother from another mother. Uh, so please, please give him, although he can't hear you, a ginormous round of applause, Andy Kind. Thanks very much. That's kind of you. Thanks, James. Uh, morning, everybody. It's so nice to be here. Uh, to be here. What a weird scenario, preaching to uh, an empty venue. There's about five of us in here in a big venue, so it's really like doing a gig at the Edinburgh Festival, if I'm, if I'm totally uh, honest. Uh, Rue, the sound manager, says it'll put in uh, stadium noises, so you should have a choice on your screen of either stadium or ambient, so pick what sort of crowd noise you want. Thank you so much, James, for reading that uh, passage. As you might have guessed, I'm going to preach on hell. How do you like me now? But before I start that, I wanted to say thank you for inviting me. I always love coming home to uh, Aylesbury Vineyard and uh, always love being on this stage. And sorry I can't be with you in person, or you can't be with me in person, but at least I don't have Steve Burnhope sitting in the front row, pointing at his watch and saying, get, get off the stage. Lynn, Lynn, he's done 40 minutes, take the shot, take him out, he's got to go. So... I know, Steve, that you're watching it in, in France, so over the next three hours, I'm hoping to unpack some of my uh, finest jokes and preaching ideas. I hope you enjoy it, and you, you can't get me. So that's good. Um, I hope you're doing okay during this lockdown. It is a really weird time, and people struggling in different ways. I found that I've you know, managed to carve out the time for stuff I wouldn't otherwise have been able to do, so I took the Christmas tree down last week. That was really good. Um, I've... Uh, <laughs> It's nice to, be, nice to be finally wearing trousers after four months. This time last year, I remember thinking, I don't think my life will really be complete. I don't think I'll ever be happy in life 
until I've travelled the world. That was my view this time last year, whereas, whereas now, after four months in lockdown, I'm just thinking, if I could complete just 1,000-piece jigsaw, I will happily depart and be with Christ. This is the new normal. It's all really different. So this morning, I'm going to preach on that passage, and I want you to relax. Heaven and hell are very overloaded terms, and I wanted to preach on this subject, first of all, because, again, you can't get me, I'm, I'm locked in, but second of all, because I believe that the gospel is good news. I believe that the gospel is unique in offering people good news. And so if it is unique, if it is good news, then actually hell is a part of that. Whatever hell is, it's a part of that. So if you're a Christian watching this morning, I want to preach in such a way that you can think, you know what, hell is part of the good news of God's invitation into relationship. And if you're not someone who would call yourself a Christian and maybe you think of God as some kind of maniacal judge Hopefully, I'm going to preach in such a way that you think, you know what, maybe God is much more reasonable and fair-minded than I'd been led to believe. So that's, that's the aim this morning. If you don't know me, I, I live in Chesterfield. I'm a, a father. I've got two daughters. Um, both my daughters have biblical names. Ruth's quite happy with that, but Deuteronomy hates me and, uh, and doesn't like to speak. In reality, they're called Alice and Heidi, and they're enjoying lockdown. Heidi's just turned five. I was with her in the supermarket the other day, and... Uh, I said, hi, did you know why everyone's wearing face masks? She said, yes, Daddy, I know. They're dentists. Presumably, Heidi thinks that the number of dentists per capita just shot up over the last four months. So, here we go. First of all, a little bit of uh, background knowledge. The the title of this talk, by the way, is um, This Kingdom Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. That's the name of the talk. The book of Matthew is aimed primarily at showing the Jewish people that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So that's one of the primary aims of the book of Matthew, showing the Jewish people that Jesus was the primary, that was the promised Messiah, and warning them against the consequences of rejecting Jesus. So this passage is called the wedding banquet, but it could very well be called choices have consequences. And it's really important to say at this point, because semantics is important, we need to understand that when the Bible uses certain words, What it means by those words might not be what we picture when we hear those words. That's really important as we go through. A consequence is not the same as a punishment. A consequence is not the same as a punishment. So the Bible talks about punishment, but when the Bible talks about punishment, it really has more to do with what we think of when we think of consequences. Let me define a consequence. A consequence is a self-inflicted outcome of a choice that you have freely made. So a consequence is a self-inflicted outcome of a choice that you have freely made. For instance, I've been staying with the tweets uh, this weekend. And if I said, for instance, uh, despite being asked not to, I went into James's vault and drank his 40-year-old bottle of Merlot, and therefore I'm not allowed to come and stay anymore. That would be... A consequence. The outcome reflects and mirrors my choice and my actions. However, if I said, despite being asked not to, I went into James's vault, drank his 40-year-old bottle of Merlot, and no longer am I not allowed to stay, but also he tied me up in the garage and set me on fire. All of a sudden, that's a different category, isn't it? That is a punishment. You see, the person setting a consequence is invested in you. I'm not good at consequences. I don't want to kind of claim that I'm the great I am. I am am not good at setting consequences. I've got two daughters, as I said, and and my daughter's mum is really good at setting consequences for them, setting boundaries, if you like. She'll say, if you don't 
toys away, you can't go and see your friends tomorrow, if you don't put your pyjamas on, you can't I am terrible at saying consequences, because I don't know what I'm going to say from one moment to the next. I have such an excitable mind that really anything could happen at any moment. I once was giving a witness statement to um, a police about a burglary, and uh, I started laughing because a small dog had walked past. This is how my mind works. I was with my daughters, I was doing dinner in bedtime, and um, it's difficult to set consequences because I don't know what I'm going to say. I was doing dinner in bedtime, and um, my daughter Alice refused to eat her boiled egg. And as a consequence, I threatened to kill the cat. I am not the person you want setting consequences, but fortunately, I am not the Lord. When the Bible talks about consequences, it's about a God who is invested in you, and a consequence is a result that mirrors your action. So a punisher is at least ambivalent, if not jubilant, about what happens to you as a result of of your choices and your actions. But someone setting a consequence, and the biblical idea of God giving consequences is more to do with a God who will let you make your choice and is invested in you and wants the best for you. So words create pictures. It's really important to understand that God is not a factory owner. He is not the demon headmaster. He's not a sergeant major. The Bible talks about God as a loving father. And we need to have everything in perspective from that, from that filter. What the passage, if you've got Matthew 22, do, do open it. What the passage is referencing is, is God sending prophets. So God sent loads of prophets to the house of, of Israel, inviting them to this banquet. The prophets that God sent, they told They told the Jews, they told the nation of Israel to repent, but they weren't debt collectors, they weren't bailiffs, they didn't turn up tooled up to the max. They were inviting people to a banquet, and yet um, the Jewish people abused the prophets, killed them, cast them out. And so this this is what the passage is about. You are invited to a banquet, the the Jewish nation invited to a banquet, not just snacks and dips, but a full banquet. So it's not like God sends these prophets and says, uh, hey, I'm here on behalf uh, of God. You guys are really naughty, so you've got to come to uh, God's house now, and he's got some sticks of celery and uh, some homemade hummus. It's just gross. And uh, he's, he's done a special sauce, but spoiler alert, it's just ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together. It looks like pus, but you've got to come. That's not the offer. That's not the nature of the invitation. It's a banquet. And we just need to understand that. When God calls in the Old Testament, Israel, and today, you and I. It's not an order, it's an invitation, and it's not a takeaway, it's a banquet. It's not something that you come and get and you just keep on your own. He's inviting you into his presence. The king says in this this passage, those I invited did not deserve to come. But look at what's going on. It doesn't say, those I invited did not deserve to come, therefore I'm not inviting them. He's already invited them. They are invited. So what does it mean when it says they did not deserve to come? This is about entitlement. The the nation of Israel, the Jewish people that Jesus is talking to, believed that just by being born, just by having the heritage that they did, they had a right to go to heaven. They felt it was their birthright just because of where they were born and who their parents were. But it's like saying, you know, I'm an Englisher. Why did Southgate pick me for the England squad? 
It's because you wear it with jeans. And it's got curry on it. That's two of very many reasons. A sentence in the, uh, in the passage says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And again, we need to understand what the context of the scripture is. Because when we hear that, when I hear that, many are called, few are chosen, I'm suddenly thinking about an X Factor boot camp that lots of people have come. They've actually come to try and get onto the X Factor. And Jesus has just said, well, I'll, just, I'll choose you and you and you and you. But that isn't what's going on. When it says many are called, but few are chosen, Jesus is saying, look, there is a group of people who think that they are chosen. They think that they're special. They think that they're there on right and they don't have to do anything. But actually, many are called. Many are called. Hello, mate. Is it not working? Okay. Do I need to start again? No, definitely not. Definitely not start again. I've now got two microphones uh, and uh, will now engage in some tap dancing um, for the next 10 minutes while I recalibrate. So Jesus is saying, even though some people think they're chosen, they're special, they're there on right, they're there on, on merit, actually many are called. The invitation to be with God is for everybody. And so counting on your rights doesn't count for very much. You know what? As a human being, you, you don't have many rights, but the, the Gospel of John says that for all those to, who believe, you have the right to become a child of God. You have the right to become a child of God, and that's an invitation, but you've got to choose it. And this is where it starts to sound like good news, friends. This is where it starts to sound like good news, because nobody is called to God's presence based on their performance. You are not worthy, but you are worth it. You're not worthy, but you are worth it. God doesn't call people based on their level of attainment, based on their social structure, based on whether they've got a double-barreled surname or not. Many are called. All are called. You are called. Whether you feel like you're chosen or special or not, the invitation is on the table. The invitation to a banquet has come through your door. You're not worthy, but you're worth... You know, grace is a, a uniquely Christian word. Grace just means undeserved favour. It doesn't mean doing a favour for someone when they don't deserve it. But undeserved favour, preferential treatment that is not based on your performance or your activity. Grace means preferential treatment that you haven't earned. This is best summed up, I think, by the 1990s Ferrero Rocher advert at the ambassador's reception. I mean, some of you will remember that. And, you know, it's a great... It's a great ambassador's reception. Everyone's having a lovely time. That's clear from the advert. And then he brings out the uh, pyramid plate of Ferrero Rocher. And that woman says, oh, ambassador, with this Ferrero Rocher, you are really spoiling us. You see, that's grace. It's undeserved favour. I don't know why more preachers don't talk about 90s adverts that no one remembers, but I'm Andy Kind. So grace means undeserved favour, preferential treatment that you haven't earned. Nevertheless, you still have to choose Choices have consequences and you have to make a choice because you are a free person. You have free will. And love cannot be given unto duress. God can't force you to love him. God can't force you into his presence. You have to choose because it's a banquet. It's not deliveroo. You don't ring up God and say, I'll have some peace and joy and uh, prosperity, please, God, and I need to be here in an hour or want it to be free. That's not, that's not how the gospel works. 
The banquet is where he is, not where you are. So the king says, go and invite anyone who will come. Go and invite anyone who will come. Heaven is not one in, one out. It's not a terrible nightclub. There's no limited space. It's not like my wedding. We, when I got married, we tried to have a, a banquet, but we had a very limited budget. We had um, money for about 100 guests, and I invited everyone. I don't just mean everyone I knew. I, I meant everyone, like people in the middle aisle at Aldi. Uh, Twitter, I invited all of Twitter. Chris Ahakabusi actually RSVP'd at one point, so that was, that was awkward. Um, what it meant was that we'd invited far too many people. So there wasn't enough room at the banquet and we had, to, <laughs> we had to think about ways to stop people from coming. And it meant that I got excited when people started dropping out, which is obviously <laughs> what, you, what you want. I remember my, my friend Greg, one of my best mates, rang me up uh, two weeks before the wedding to say that his girlfriend of five years had split up with him and she wouldn't be coming to the, um, to the wedding anymore. He was devastated. I set off some fireworks. I was absolutely delighted. I, I couldn't believe it. Heaven is not like that. There's no limited space. It's not one in, one out. You're called. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. So to the question, who gets into heaven? Well, as Steve Bernhardt would say, on some level, whoever wants to. Who gets into heaven? Whoever wants to. Because we have a choice. However, it's still the case that there will be people who are as it says, outside in the dark. There are still going to be people not at the heavenly banquet, outside in the dark. And here we are, face to face, with the biblical reality of not just heaven, but also hell. And so at this point, what we need to do is just relax, take a deep breath, and like the early settlers, we need to uncircle the wagons and just head towards the horizon. Because again, I think there's a way of seeing it where it can still be seen as good news. What you want to do at this point is understand that heaven and hell are hugely overloaded terms. Heaven and hell are hugely overloaded terms. So we want to engage at this point in what I call pyrotheology. We want to burn it all up. Look again and see what kind of phoenix arises from the ashes. So what is heaven? What is hell? I did a little survey with um, just some random people on my phone, people I, I know, but I sent a message out saying, describe what you think heaven is or what you, th- what you think of when you hear the word heaven and the same with hell. So here's a sample of what people came up with. So heaven is fluffy clouds, uh, eternal bliss, harps. Someone just said harps. Um, Having a bubble bath while listening to Enya. That was mine. Free childcare. Basically, all the mums I asked, heaven was just free childcare. And then hell. Hell was described as where bad people go. Devils with pointy forks. Lack of free childcare. These are all anonymous. Uh, This was my favourite one. Finding a tub of ice cream in the fridge and opening it to discover that it's frozen soup. That, again, that does sound hellish to me. But you can see, can't you, that all of these people are describing something based on an initial reaction. The mental image that is conjured up when they hear these words is just projected. Heaven seems overly sanitised, dreamy but boring. And, And hell just seems brutal. A place of fire where God sends people to be punished. 
And I want to suggest this morning that those concepts, both heaven as a dreamy, cloudy place and hell as a place of fire where God sends people to be punished are both false concepts. Hell is neither fiery nor a place where God sends anyone to be punished. What we need is some nuance. We need some nuance. It's not, it shouldn't be a controversial statement to say this, but maybe it will be for some of you. The Bible is not clear on exactly what heaven and hell are. However, it doesn't mean that the Bible is silent. Just because it doesn't say everything we'd like it to say, it doesn't mean it says nothing. The Bible says loads about the horrific consequences of bad choices. So how about this? Because you know what someone will say? You know, the Bible is clear that if you, if you are not a Christian, you die, you will burn for eternity. I'm not sorry to tell you that that is not clear in the Bible. But it doesn't mean it doesn't say anything. How about this? Instead of using overly loaded terms like heaven and hell, why don't we, why don't we use different terms? Instead of heaven, why don't we use the presence of God? And instead of hell, why don't we use the absence of God? Because that is where the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear on a couple of things at least. That there is a loving God who is chasing you down and wants you to come to the banquet, wants you to be in relationship with him. He invites you into his presence. Psalm 16 verse 11, in his presence is fullness of joy. Joy is a real thing and it exists, it exists in God's presence and he is offering you that invitation. The Bible is also clear that people will reject and are rejecting that offer and the consequences of that are horrendous. To, a, to someone who wouldn't call themselves a, a Christian, the idea of a place of, of torment seems to undermine what Christians talk about as a God of love. So let's, let's look at that. Let's hit that head on. There are three main and have been since Christianity started, three main schools of thought about salvation, about what happens to people who are not in Christ, who don't know Jesus personally when they die. And you know what? Only one of these is a problem if you're an unbeliever. The, um, the smallest camp to be in is Christian universalism. Christian universalism is the idea that because of the cross of Christ, everybody ultimately ends up in heaven, whatever heaven is. So even for Hitler, God is so gracious that eventually Hitler will be redeemed and will end up in heaven. So that's the idea of Christian universalism. And I went through a, uh, a phase of, of being a universalist. I also went through a phase of not telling anybody about Jesus. And uh, it coincides with being a universalist. If, if you look at my time as a universalist and my time not sharing the gospel as a Venn diagram, actually, it doesn't look like a Venn diagram. It's just two circles, one on top of another. Even if universalism is true, this is a challenge for the Christians there. You can be a universalist if, if you want. You can believe that everybody um, will ultimately get to Jesus. But you still need to tell people about Jesus because your friends and your family will find you around the throne in heaven and say, why didn't you tell me about this guy? I knew you for 40 years. Why didn't you tell me about the guy who could set me free from addiction, who could help me in my anxiety, who could bring comfort in my affliction? Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? 
Being a universalist is not an excuse for not sharing the gospel. That's the first camp. The second camp is annihilationism. Now, annihilationism is compared to universalism. So if you're an unbeliever and universalism is true, you get more than you're expecting. So you're expecting extinction and you actually get eternal bliss. Pretty good deal. Annihilationism is the idea that you can reject Jesus and because he won't force you to be in his presence because love can't be given under duress. And so you won't be able to be in heaven. You won't be able to be with God. But he loves you so much he wouldn't force you to be consciously separated from him for eternity. So you will simply cease to exist. And on that one, the unbeliever gets exactly what they're expecting. They're expecting extinction and they get it. And at the point that you get it, at the point that you fall into darkness... You see the light. Have a look at what you could have won. So annihilationism is still the belief that it's terrible because you're missing out on eternal joy, but you're not getting eternal conscious punishment. You just cease to exist. That's currently where I would be, but actually I don't want to let myself off the hook. So I'm going to preach as though the third option is true and try and convey this as part of the gospel. The third camp is... um, ECT, or eternal conscious torment, eternal conscious torment, which is the idea that that your soul is eternal and you don't get to opt out of being a soul. You just get to choose which of the two places you end up, in the presence of God or in the absence of God. So again, I believe in annihilationism. I hold to that. I think think it most fits with God's character. I think it's the most uh, biblically sound. And it also helps me to share the gospel with a passion without worrying too much about what happens when evangelism fails. However, let's assume that the worst case scenario is true. Let's assume that for those people who are not in Christ, they will be eternally, consciously separated from God. How can we say that that's fair? Can we still show that as part of the good news. We should also say that when we, when we say torment, we don't mean torture. Torture and torment are not the same thing. Torment just means turmoil, the turmoil of not being in the presence of God. Another thing to say, and I'm speaking here to the people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. It's not just Christians who downgrade people's expectations of what happens in the afterlife. So if you are a, like a staunch atheist and I'm and I'm a Christian, and you're saying, well, and I believe in eternal conscious torment. On the one hand, you're saying, I want, I'm expecting extinction, but you're saying, it's much worse than that. I I go on forever just in torment. That's bad. But as an atheist, you're also saying to me, even though you're expecting eternal bliss, you're going to actually get annihilation. So both of us are downgrading the other person's hopes and expectations of what happens in the afterlife. It's not just the Christians who are the party poopers in this situation, my friend. How can this be good news, though? How can, how can torment somehow be seen as good news? Well, it can be seen as good news within context. The gospel just means good news. We, we only can fully fall in love with the gospel when we understand what the gospel is, the bad news. When we understand what every other worldview is offering. Even if eternal conscious torment is true, even if people will be eternally separated and conscious in their separation from God, the Christian story is still the best news out there. It's still the only show in town 
when it comes to hope because it's in the nature of God's character and his invitation to you. It's in the nature of God's character and his invitation to you. There is no other religion where you are allowed to know God personally. There is no other religion where God offers you the things that Jesus offers you. The big question in life is, is who, who am I? Who am I? Why am I here? Where have I come from? Where am I going? But who am I? What's my identity? So let's just look at what different worldviews say to the question, who am I? You say to a, a, a Buddhist, who am I? And a Buddhist, if they wanted to be faithful to classical Buddhism, would say, well, you're, you're nothing. You're literally no thing, because no thing really exists. Everything is, is just an illusion. Your desires and your suffering are maya, illusory. So you're, you're nothing, you're no thing. If you say to a, a Hindu, who am I? A Hindu would have to say, if they wanted to be faithful to non-dualistic Hinduism, they would have to say, well, you're nobody. You're nobody. You don't have a, a personal identity. You don't have an identity separate from this stand or the chair that you're sitting on or the bowler hat that you're wearing. You don't have an identity. You're just part of the bigger whole. But you have no more or less value than this stand, than the chair you're sitting on. You're nobody. If you say to a, a Muslim, who am I? A Muslim would say, well, you're somebody, but you're nobody very important. And it might very well be that if you become a Muslim and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then Allah might very well show mercy on you. But you might as well flip a coin because he doesn't have to. Allah isn't nice to you based on his own nature, but based on his own whim. If he wants to send you to hell, he can. For whatever reason, if he wants to send you to heaven, he can. But he's just not that into you. This is not Christian bias in their own words and on their own terms, this is what the other worldviews are offering you. It's not good news. So you say to a Muslim, who am I? Who am I? Well, you're nobody very important. You say to an atheist, who am I? And an atheist, if they wanted to be true to what atheism actually means at its foundation, they would have to say, well, it's not a matter of who you are, but, but what you are. You're just molecules. You're nothing more than the lingering odour from one big cosmic burp. Beautifully presented and wonderfully organised, but you are just molecules. You're cosmic shrapnel. Call yourself stardust if you want. You are cosmic shrapnel. It's not who you are, it's what you are. You say to a Christian, who am I? And a Christian, if they wanted to be true to what the gospel actually is, a Christian would have to say, oh yes, that's it. You know, I've been trying to place you. I know who you are. You're that person that Jesus died for. You're that person who, even if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you. Jesus would have come to find you and taken on death and all of its minions head to head so that you could have life in its fullness. That's who you are, because that's who he is. Even if eternal conscious torment is a real thing, the gospel is the only show in town when it comes to good news. And the shadow side of rejecting it, the consequences of rejecting the good news, is the gospel, the bad news. So don't reject it. With any other God, I'm going to use analogy because the, the, the passage is about analogy. Jesus is giving an analogy. So I'm going to use analogy. If any other religion is true, if any other God is real, at the end of your life, you will stand before this God or concept of God and God will say to you, let's see how you did. 
Let's see how you got on. Let's see if your good works have met my arbitrary standard of getting into heaven. And if they, if they don't, well, it's punishment for you. See, that's not, that's not a banquet. That's not an invitation. <laughs> that's an appraisal. That's a disciplinary hearing. That's a court-martial. However, if you stand before Jesus, when you stand before Jesus, he'll ask you a different question. He won't, he won't ask, let's see how you did, how did you do? He'll look at you and he'll say, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Who's the king? And at this point, you will be left with a choice of one of, one of two options. You will either say, you're the king, Jesus. You're my king and I want to come into your kingdom and worship you as my king and accept the boundaries of your kingdom. I want to bow the knee to you. I want to come to the banquet on your terms. And Jesus will say, great, let's get something to eat. He literally says that in John 21. He makes breakfast for his disciples on the beach. Let's get something to eat. Or you won't say that. You'll say, no. I'm in charge of my life, Jesus. I'm the king or the queen of my life. My spiritual path is my own. My soul, my choice. I'm in charge of my life. And at that point, Jesus will say to you, very well, your majesty. I shall now leave your kingdom. And this is why it's good news. Because on this, Jesus treats you as the monarch that you want to be. And he will leave you alone with your kingdom. And it's not a banquet. It's all you can eat. But it's all you can eat despair. Or you can eat anxiety. Or you can eat futility. And this is why. Jesus is not the allocator of love, hope, freedom, joy, purpose. He doesn't give these things out like Ferreira Roche at an ambassador's reception. He is the source of these things. And when he goes, they go. The three nouns to describe God in the New Testament are love, light and life. If you turn your back on love, you will get disconnection. You turn your back on light, you'll get darkness. You turn your back on life, you'll get death. That sounds a lot like hell to me. But you have a choice. He will treat you as the monarch of your life and he will leave you alone. Whether for a moment or for eternity, you will get your kingdom. You will get to keep your crown. But those things that you know are really important, peace, joy, hope, love, freedom, light, they haven't stayed because they went with him. Because they were him. He is those things. Jesus isn't a symbol of hope. Hope is a symbol of Jesus. He's the only show in town. But that's why it's good news, because he'll treat you like the king. Someone might say, God wouldn't, wouldn't punish me for not believing in him. I totally agree, 100% agree. God would not punish you for not believing in him. But heaven is not a treat. Heaven is not a treat for a life well lived. It's not centre parks. I hope it is a bit like centre parks, but it's not centre parks. Heaven is the undiluted presence of God. And if you don't want to be in his presence now, which you can be, why would you want to be in his presence forever? You're making your choice. God's not going to send you 
anywhere. You can stay where you are. He'll leave. (laughs) But the things that are really key go with him. And that's not punishment. That's consequence. It actually comes out of the respect and honour that God has for you. At the moment, it's like we're in this lobby. We're in the lobby to the banquet. It's what some people call common grace. But basically, the Bible says Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. So you are currently in his universe. You know, you're a guest in his universe, not the other way around. And so you experience joy and hope and love because he is present. You're in the, you're in the lobby. And the banquet of real presence behind the veil, real, the real presence of God is behind that door. And you can smell the banquet. You can smell the freedom. You can taste the joy. You can sense the love. And on the other side, through the other door, you've got the outer darkness. You can feel the chill and you can feel the chill. You can feel death coming for you. So you just need to make a choice. Which door do you want to go through? But you do have to make a choice. And not choosing is a choice. Because the banquet isn't in the lobby. The, the choice is yours. Someone might say, we're nearly finished now. Someone might say, okay, I, I do believe in God. I do believe that, that God is love. I just don't, I, don't believe in, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in this Christian God. I believe that God is, is bigger than any of these religions you've talked about. And he is loving, but he, he, he's, he's bigger. And, and so we all end up with him. Okay, well, if God is bigger than Christianity, if God is bigger than any religion, describe him to me. Give him some characteristics. Come on. Give me some characteristics. And someone might say, oh, well, maybe he's like a river. Maybe he's like a river. Not good enough. Who is he? Because if you want to know who you are, you need to know who he is. So who is he? So, well, no, I don't know. No, you don't know because you've made him up. This God of unconditional love who is bigger than any religion but hasn't revealed himself in any definitive way, that's not a God of love. That's a God of apathy. He's not that into you. A God who who loves you from afar. You know, we have a word for people who love you from afar without revealing themselves. We call them stalkers. Don't don't confuse Jesus Christ for a conjurer of cheap tricks, but why are you living on spiritual pot noodle when there's a banquet waiting for you? Why are you living on this idea of vague spirituality? Vague spirituality is so dangerous because it gives you the impression of being close to God without being accountable to him. But you know what? You are going to have to stand before Jesus and you are going to have to give an account. But you need to have your answer ready. Who's the king? And the right answer is, you are Jesus. But this is not about what happens when you die. Fullness of life starts now. You can know him now. Because he's pursuing you not to tell you off. He's covering you in freedom and joy and hope, giving you a taste of these things. Not to tell you off, not to threaten punishment, because he wants you at the banquet. He wants to meet you at the end of your life and say, well done, good and faithful servant, let's get something to eat. So... Choose life and choose today whom you will serve. This is why we call it the gospel. It's good news.